Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And we're coming back after a two-week break. Jacob was out of the country, I was out of town, but hopefully we didn't keep you waiting too long, and we're back with some good reviews and some good talk about board games. Yeah, so both of us actually got to play some board games while we were on our respective trips. We did. I actually got to play Kodama, which is, of course, a favorite. Right. And definitely the people that I played it with really enjoyed it. I, of course, when going abroad, decided to go ahead and buy a few games in order to give people. Because... Not a surprising to me. <laughs> exactly. And so far, it seems that the people that uh, I gave the different games to, they have been enjoying them. So, I mean, I did play Kodama, and that was fun. But then I also got to play a new game called Vi, mm-hmm. which I liked enough just from the way that it seemed to work that I actually got a copy to give as a gift, and oh, I wow. gave that to my aunt and uncle. Okay, so how's it work? It's a pretty easy game. The way that it works is that you have a hand of cards, I believe it's five cards, and each of those cards has a picture on it. There are, I believe, 16 different pictures, and they are the cards that you have as territory, pretty much. So what happens is each turn you play one card down. Hmm. You can play it orthogonally next to any card that is currently played. When you play that card, you place a cube of your color on top of that card. And you claim that as yours. Okay. But now let's say you had a picture of a fox, you played it, and put your cube on it. I played the same picture of a fox because there are going to be four of each color card. I played that picture of a fox next to it. I kick your cube off and I get both of them. Interesting. And then if you play another picture of a fox next to that one, you get all three. Okay. Or, you know, because this is up to, I believe, five players. So you can have many people like vying over the same area. Right. And the person to win the game is the one who has the largest area that is contiguous. Right. So it has to be contiguous as soon as someone cuts you off or like uh, makes a separation between your two different areas, you only get the points in the larger part. Okay, that's really interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of really good sort of balance between like, okay, I need to get out there and just claim as much territory as possible versus, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're not careful about how you create that territory, you know, you're going to leave yourself up into, oh, suddenly you've been split in half. Exactly. now, interesting, okay. And then you also have these other special cards. So you start with a suit of four special cards. These four are like the Jack, King, Queen, Ace, almost. Okay. So one of them is you place that card on top of another card instead of placing a new card on your turn, and it converts the card that you placed as well as the ones to the right, left, up, top, and bottom to your color. Okay. That seems pretty good. And then there's another one that does diagonals. There's a third one that uh, when you place it, you choose either orthogonals or diagonals. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, which is the ace in the hole, does every card around it. Okay, wow. So those are really powerful. Yeah. And I didn't even get to play with any of the other actual special cards. So, like, the base game is just using the a certain number of different cards or different picture cards mm-hmm. based on however many players you have. But then there are all these other cards that you can add in there to make the game as complex as you want. So you can add other cards that are like special, like, you know, you have like this fortress or something that defends in a certain way, or all these different other kinds of things that I didn't really get to play with. 
but that seem really interesting that add to the replayability a lot. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of different sort of permutations almost that you can can play with. And I saw, you know, you mentioned that you purchased it, so mm-hmm. now I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a fun game. It plays in 20 minutes. I was actually surprised at how quickly it was over. Okay. Because we played it like one or two rounds, and when we did, it was just real quick, boom, boom, boom. Oh, wait, it's over? We forgot to use our special cards. <laughs> so uh, the game just ends whenever there's no more cards to be drawn, I believe. As soon as the last card is drawn, the game is over at that exact point. Okay, so none of this, you know, back and forth, everybody gets the same number of turns. Nope. Yeah, so a pretty abrupt ending there, kind of just, you know. Yeah, it, 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 when it ends, it just, boom, ends, and that's it. And uh, you score up the points, whoever has the largest contiguous area wins, and you shuffle them up all back together again and play again. <laughs> it's one of those games. Yep, it is. There was actually another game, I am completely blanking on the name of it, that I played over actually a few days ago, which was pretty interesting. It's an interesting take on the game similar to Uno. Okay. Like so, you're trying to ditch all your cards? Yes. Or, okay. You are trying to ditch all your cards. On your turn, you can play any card you want that you have in your hand. And then cards go from 2 to 20. The 2s are the most common. There's only one of each card from 16 to 20. Now, you play a 2. Okay. It goes over to me. I play a 3. If I play a 3, then or any a number that is higher than the 2, then you have to discard that 2 and draw another card. If the card that you play is out on the table until your next turn, you just discard that card and you don't draw another card. That's how you get rid of cards. There's a lot happening right now and I'm honestly not sure that I can wrap my mind around how this is working. What happens if I play a four and you play a three? If you're first and you play a four, then I play a three, that's fine. Okay. Then the next person plays a five both of us discard and draw new cards to replace them. Okay. But here's the other fun part. You play a two. I play a two. Now those those get summed up to a four. If you play the same card, so they're so now so, has to play so a five. in order to get us to discard the cards. Interesting. So if someone played a three after both of us played a two, nothing would happen. It would just like keep going around. Okay. No one would discard, no one would draw. But then, if we were playing a three-player game, you played a two, I played a two, third person played a three, went back to you, you discard your two, I also at the same time discard my two. So there's never going to be more cards in the pile than there are players in the game? Yes. Okay. I mean, you have a hand of five cards that you start out with, and you're trying right. to like get rid of all of them. But. Huh. Okay. I yeah. Can, yeah, that sounds interesting, and kind of different. It is. It's different, especially because you're like semi trying to cooperate with people because like, you know, you don't want someone to get lose their last card or something like that. So you want to add like all of yours together. So, you know, if you have you put down a four, I want to put down a four, two. And then like both we are defending with each other. But also when it gets back to you, if no one has beat us, then I also get to discard my card. Sure. So it's a very interesting game. Yeah. I definitely did enjoy it. I, uh, it's really quick, comes in a card pack, and that was a lot of fun. I also had to do some interesting translations over <laughs> the break. So it was in Polish? This one was not. Uh, this one I got here in the States. I mean, none of them were in Polish that I gave them. I, I made sure to get language-independent games. Okay. But, of course, the rule books are in English sure. because I bought them here in the States. 
So there were a few games that I got for my other aunt and uncle as well as my grandmother, which I actually took the rules and translated them myself and like wrote them all down and everything like that. Okay, there you go. You should uh, take those skills and start applying for for jobs <laughs> at publishers. Do a language localization. Yeah, uh, do some language localization in Polish for some of those games. There you go. And, I mean, it worked. I think that they understood what I was trying to say, so hopefully hopefully they'll be able to get and play those games. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I also had a chance to play a few board games while I was uh, out of town. Played a game of Lanterns, mm-hmm. which was always fun. You know, it's just a fantastic game. Quick, bright, easy. You know, it's always a joy to play. One thing that was a little bit unfortunate mm-hmm. is that... The, one of the friends that I played with pointed out that it's very common in Lanterns that whoever scores first wins. Because mm-hmm. as long as you don't make any missteps, as long as you don't do any fumbles, there's a good chance that after that everybody's going to be scoring, dedicating at the same rate. Um, just because there's sort of a, you know, you get to a tipping point and then it's, okay, gather, 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 turn in, gather, gather, turn in and so on and so forth and i thought back and i thought wow you know what that's actually true a lot of the games that i've played that's been the case so that was sort of a frustrating realization (laughs) and um possibly a a gameplay aspect you know that we hadn't considered in our review i gave it a a top shelf game but if that is the case if there's almost a sort of path dependency of you have this huge barrier to overcome if you're not the first to score then i might have to reconsider see that's the thing i don't see that Really? Yeah. In my point of view, at least from the games that I've played, like, I've almost never scored first, but I've won multiple times. Interesting. Yeah, because and... I, like I said, I thought back, and including the game that I played mm-hmm. there, I would say probably 75% of my games, the victor has been the person who scored first. Yeah, I, I can't say that I have that good of a memory, but I do think that it depends on how they score, I think. Because, you know, if you go for the hardest one first. Right. Yeah. And that was, sorry, I suppose I should clarify. That was what this person was saying was that because there's only one dedication in the entire game that's worth 10. Mm -hmm. If the first person to score gets that dedication, then it's going to be very hard to catch up to them because they're always going to be leading you by at least one point. Depending. uh, But then that, I think, depends on the strategy of the game because, I mean... You have one person who's, you know, got the 10, right? You go and you're starting to collect, like, the all the other ones. Like, you're going for the small, quick dedications. Right. And see, that was the thing. So we, we talked about this, this sort of realization mm-hmm. at the beginning, at the outset of the game. And I was not the first person to get a 10. And, in fact, I was the third person to dedicate. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try. But there was never a point, and, again... It's possible that it was misplaying and fumbles on my part, but there was never a point at which even focusing on the four lantern dedications and the smaller, the six lantern mm-hmm. dedications when they were easy to grab, that I was able to get ahead and get two in a single cycle when the other players only got one. I'll have to observe when I, when I play more often, but... Yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't think I've seen that that be the case, but that just might be the people that I play with. And I mean, the games, certain games can be broken depending on who you play with. Sure. Because once you've played enough times, things like, for example, Sheriff of Nottingham, our friend group broke that game. 
Like they they found out that if you never lie, you will win that game. Really? Yes. It is a game that is broken according to them. Like they've they borrowed that for me from for almost a whole summer and they played the hell out of that. But then what happens if no one ever lies? Then it's just luck of the cards. Huh. Just like luck of the draw, whatever you get. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's like Yeah, it, I've it, only played it the once, so I'd have to yeah. They they were saying that it literally does not make sense to lie in that game. Sure. Yeah. But uh, you know, regardless, it was still fun to play, still a great game. And it was great to get to play games with some, you know, people that I don't get to see often because as much as I love you guys, playing games with you every Wednesday starts to get a little tiresome. So, but, uh, yep. yeah, that was a great trip and it was good to, to play some board games. And it sounds like you had fun playing some new games as well. Yeah, definitely. And there you have it. And that's a look at what we've been playing. Over the eons, civilizations have risen and fallen. All have succumbed to the tides of time. And the tides of madness. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> but yeah, so Tides of Time and Tides of Madness are two games very similar, the one being based on the other, that are fundamentally card drafting games. The core mechanic is that each round, the two players, because they're only two player games, mm -hmm. have five cards in hand. And they're going to be drafting those cards back and forth. And each time they take one, they put it immediately into play. So there's no, you know, system where you're drafting and then there's a play phase. It's literally drafting. That's the whole thing. Yep. You draft a card, you put it in play, you reveal it when both of you have chosen, and draft another. You keep going until all five cards have been played, and then you score. Right. And scoring takes really the form of set collection. Each card in the game, there are 18 cards has a suit. There are five different suits with three each, and then there are three cards that are unsuited. So as you're collecting these cards, you're noticing what suit they have, but also what ability they have. This is one of the interesting things about the game is that scoring isn't static. Scoring is based on the cards that you pick. So you can have a card of a blue suit that says score three points per red suit that you have at the end of the round. So in this way, you're sort of building your, it's not quite an engine, but your tableau over the course of a round and trying as best you can through the drafting phase to come up with a good combination of cards that synergize with each other. Exactly. And at the same time, you're also looking at what your opponent is doing and what your opponent is playing. Because if they have, for example, the card that gives them the 13 points for having one of each color suit and they're missing one suit, and you have that one in your hand, it might not be the best one for you to play, but it might still be worth it to keep them from getting that kind of points. So it has a lot of interactions in that way as well. Not only like what you want in your tableau, but what you don't want in your opponent's tableau. Exactly. So that's scoring at the end of each round, uh, and the game takes place over three rounds. Now, one of the unique things that this game does is that after scoring, you take your cards that you have in front of you back into your hand. You choose one to discard. That gets discarded face down. And you choose one to keep in play. You put it face down, you reveal them simultaneously, and then you put a little token on top of it, denoting that essentially it's eternal. That one will remain in your tableau for the rest of the game. Then you draw two more cards so that your hand's back up to five. Rinse, repeat. Exactly. 
And then after three rounds, so you do that twice, and then at the end of the third round, you just calculate the points. You add up all your points. Whoever has the most wins. Very straightforward. Now, Tides of Madness is Tides of Time plus something else. And that something else is, first of all, a retheme for Cthulhu. So you have a few different kinds of abilities and also a few different kinds of cards that you put together. But they're all, the artwork is completely different, the look is a bit different, and everything like that. What this introduces is the madness tokens. And now these come in during scoring. You will have your cards, and some of them will actually have tentacles around them. And these cards will give you a madness token if they are in your tableau at the end of the round. Right, so before cards are scored, you take one Madness token per card in your tableau that has these tentacles, even if that card is one that you've kept over from a previous round. So if you do choose to keep those cards, it can sort of amp up, which is a bad thing, because after collecting Madness token, if any player has nine tokens, they instantly lose the game. So it's a really important balancing mechanic, because one of the things that happened in Tides of Time was that you know, you had exceptionally powerful cards that you just say, okay, I'm going to keep that, or I'm going to play that. And it sort of spiraled. It led to, you know, one person running away with the game if the other person wasn't able to grab the counter cards or the cards that sort of unwind that combo. Tides of Madness solves this problem very elegantly by making most of the most powerful cards tentacle cards, and if you overload on them too much, you'll just lose. And that happens even before scoring, so you can't just try to limp into the third round and then come out on top. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that happens with the tokens is that whoever has the most tokens, so there is a little bit of an incentive to have the most tokens, but whoever has the most madness tokens, whoever has gained the most during that round, is going to either be able to gain four or five points or remove one of their madness tokens from their pool so it adds a little bit of that choice that like there is a risk reward thing there so if you are gaining more of these madness tokens you do get that reward and those those points are not insignificant in the grand scheme of the game but you're getting all that bit closer to losing from just having the nine madness tokens and that's that's it that's all the mechanics that there are in, in tides of time and tides of madness so these are really very simple games they're very quick to play. For a new player picking them up, they're probably 20 minutes. Jacob and I can get through a game in 5 to 10. They're very quick, back-to-back, very intuitive, but also very strategic. They're very thoughtful games. They definitely reward players who take the time to think about what's going through their opponent's heads. Because you have a situation where not only do you have perfect information about what's currently in front of your opponent in their tableau, but also after the second round, you have perfect information about what they have in their hand, assuming you can remember it. So there's lots of ways that you can sort of set up two or three cards down the line in the draft, a situation that's going to pay off for you. Mm -hmm. Or also you can always read what your opponent is trying to set up and mess with that. Exactly. So there is a lot of thought, as it is with many of these kinds of simple games that have very few rules but a lot of strategy, you are really trying to think and outthink your opponent. 
because the mechanics are really just there for the interplay between you and your opponent because your opponent is going to try to you know get the certain points you're looking at what they have what it, what they passed you and that kind of thing and you're like okay so how can i get the most points but also prevent them from getting points and you have to calculate the swings and all that kind of stuff and it gets to be very interesting. Hate drafting is a really big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you are trying to keep certain cards out of your opponent's hand uh, and out of their tableau, and sometimes that might be worth not getting very many points or any points at all. And also, you know, the whole discarding between rounds. You know, you could discard something that you know might not be too useful to you, or you could discard a really useful card that you don't think you'll be able to use just to keep it out of the hands of your opponent. And one of the things that's sort of interesting is that the cards themselves tend to follow the same types of patterns in terms of their scoring. You know, you've got score X for each of Y suits, score, you know, Z if you can collect majority in Z. So I'm running out of letters, but they follow the same general patterns, but there are a handful of cards that are unique that give you, you know, points if you have missing suits or double the value of you know your highest scoring card things like that mm -hmm. but i think it's a testament to the game's design that even though those cards are powerful no round ever really feels like it hinges on one or more of those cards it's all about constructing the best possible combination and the most synergistic tableau that you can rather than waiting for the one or two like finisher cards yeah exactly and there are definitely rounds that one person can run away from the other uh, because that just happens sometimes. You may have passed a card that you didn't realize that they were about to use. You forgot about a certain card that you had in your hand. They read your plan and took the card that you needed. There are a lot of things like that that happen. But that being said, that's just the kind of game it is. And for a game that lasts 10 to 15 minutes, I do not hold that against it at all. Yeah, definitely for all these great things about it, though, no game is perfect, and I know you have a very particular quibble that you've been dying to get off your chest. So my big quibble with Tides of Madness is that it didn't come with the tokens that Tides of Time came with to signify that these are the cards that you keep between rounds. And you have to know which ones you played this round and which ones were from before. And this is the kind of card game that you just, like, you play everything out, you even almost order it in a certain way that you would like to see the points and that kind of stuff. And it can get confusing because it's like, wait a minute, did I put this one out as my first card that stayed? Or is this, you know, which card is, is which? And uh, you just don't have a way to signify it in this one. I really wish that they just used a little bit of cardboard, boom, put it out just like they did for Tides of Time. Yeah, and it's not as though they didn't have room in the box. Yes. As small a box game as it is, there's plenty of space left over because the game is literally just cards and a notepad to keep score on. Yep, pretty much. But one other sort of detriment about the game is that by its very design, because it's so intensely focused on two players, it's a game where skill disparities really rise to the surface. If you have two people who are relatively evenly matched, that's going to be fun for both people. It's going to be competitive, it's going to keep them on edge, and it's going to keep them thinking about what they need to do. But if you have a person who's very familiar with what all the cards do and what sort of the strategies are in terms of achieving majority, knowing what the unique cards are that are going to 
benefit the strategy that they're currently putting together, and you have another player who doesn't know any of that, it's gonna just sort of turn into a landslide. And even if you sort of take those two extremes and work them towards the center, where one person is only reasonably more experienced than the other, it's still something that's going to become evident and sort of detract from the enjoyment that both players, I think, derive from the game. Yeah, I agree. This is a game that you want to play with people who are on equal footing as you, or you have to learn how to be able to take it easy until they get to that point. Because I know I I have used this as a game that that I taught newish players anyway, but you have to be very aware of the fact that you know you know the cards a lot more Mm. and until they do you are going to be able to win very easily because they're not going to realize what you're doing they're not going to realize what's going on until it's too late until the cards are already down on the table on your side and you're winning 60 points to like 10. yeah so you just have to be very careful with that but as long as you know that you can definitely do well, choosing who you're playing the game with. Yeah. So all of these things taken together, pros, cons, how do we rate these two games? So I'm going to say for both of them, buy it, but I'm going to give a little bit of an explanation. First, I will say if you have a choice between the two games, Tides of Madness is 100% my favorite. It is very similar to Tides of Time. It has almost the same cards, same mechanics, everything like that. It just adds the madness and that just balances the game and just makes it a lot more interesting. Adds that one extra level, a little bit of a layer there where you're you're playing on a slightly higher level and it just makes it so much more fun. That being said, Tides of Time is still a very, very enjoyable game. If you can't find Tides of Madness, if it's out of print or something like that, you just can't get your hands on it, Tides of Time is perfectly adequate to go play and buy. But if you have the choice, Tides of Madness all the way. And I mean, both games have incredible artwork, really fun, really quick, just great games. I'm gonna echo that pretty much exactly, buy it for both of these games. I personally only own Tides of Time. I purchased it or possibly received it as a gift before Tides of Madness actually came out. And that's fine. I have no compulsion to go buy Tides of Madness. They're fundamentally very, very similar games, and I have just as much fun with Tides of Madness. That said, if you're looking to buy one of them and you don't already own either of them, go with Madness just because it has that extra mechanic, it has that extra layer, and it it is a more well-rounded game, though no better designed, I think. There you go. And now let's finish up a little bit with talking about some games that we think are pretty good comparisons to these. The first one that I want to talk about is Go Nuts for Donuts. Now, this is uh, very different themes. So one, you have like epics of, you know, civilizations rising and falling and that kind of stuff. And on the other hand, you have donuts. Behind every great leader is a delicious donut. Exactly. Now, this is a simple game that you can play with up to five players. We've talked about a little bit on previous podcasts and... The reason that we say it's similar is because, first of all, the mechanics are extremely quick and easy to learn. I, it's simple, they have very few mechanics, you just choose a number from your hand, and if you are the only person to get to choose that number, you get that donut. 
you are also trying to do the set collecting, and this is where the similarities really come in, and that is when you think about what your opponents are doing. So if your opponent is trying to collect a certain type of donut, and you know that you know right now they have a very low score with that donut, you want to try to block them, but you also don't want to do that as too much of a detriment to yourself. So you really have that kind of mind game there and that kind of like, what are they going to do? What are they going to try to do? What do I want to let them do? What do I not want to let them do? Are they actually going to choose the one that I think they're going to choose? And that kind of stuff. So it definitely has that similar kind of feel in that with a little bit of a lighter theme for up to five players. Right. Similarly, a game that has similar mechanics, similar feel, if you're looking for one that scales for a few more players, Heat is a perfect game. It plays three to five, and card drafting is absolutely integral. So if you like the card drafting elements of Tides of Time, if you like deliberating very carefully over what's going to work best for you, what's going to be advantageous to take away from your opponent, and then also thinking about okay, how is this going to synergize with things that I play before versus after? Heat is an excellent game that scales to a few more players and just gets more people around the table. And there you have it. That's our review of Tides of Time and Tides of Madness. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Now we just want to talk about one thing, and that is WashingCon. This is coming up in two weeks, and it is September 9th and 10th this year. We are going to have a lot of fun there. There's going to be a lot of game designers. Bruce Glasgow is going to be there. He's the designer of Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Jason Matthews is going to be there. He's the one who designed Twilight Struggle, among others as well as Keith Baker, who is famous for designing Eberron, as well as games like Gloom and Phoenix Dawn Command. So there were some really cool special guests. We're going to have them on panels. We're also going to have a lot of giveaways. We have over a thousand games to give away. And if you do your math correctly, that's pretty much one game per person who goes there. That's a lot so, of games. Yeah. And they're not just like little shitty kind of games. They're, these are games that you really want. Probably some of them were on our top shelf games, I think. Not 100% sure though. So I 100% think that you should check it out. Go get tickets now. And we also have volunteer positions open still. If you take eight hours of volunteering, you will get your ticket refunded and you get a free t-shirt as well as most, I think, volunteers will at least get one game. So there's that. You get free access to the con itself. And then you also have the play to win it games. So you have those to get as well. And now, like, the different panels, the different discussions, tournaments. We have so much stuff going on there. It's going to be a blast. And we really hope to see you there. It's a really great way to plug into the DC board gaming community, meet some new people, and just have a really great weekend. Finally, don't forget to join us next week when we review Vi.